We're so glad that you're here for worship, whether in the sanctuary or joining us online. We're delighted you can be part of worship at Brewster Baptist Church. It's, uh, it's really nice today. Uh, Janet Bantley, uh, one of our former members who's moved up to New Hampshire, is back here today. It's great to see you, Janet. And uh, Pastor Barbara Burrell, who was with us for almost seven years, is also back visiting and here today. So it's great to see Barbara as well. Uh, does my heart good. I'm going to begin today by quoting a pope, Alexander Pope, who wrote, Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Hope is quite a word. Everyone from poets to politicians to preachers knows that there's power in the word hope. As Cape Cod reflects the beauty of spring with the tulips and the cherry trees and the daffodils and the flowers, there's a reminder of renewal and hope and new beginnings. And there's so much in the world that's discouraging, disheartening, disappointing. You know, so much. And that's true nationally and globally, as David shared in the prayer this morning. And for some of you, it may be true in your own life as well. And that's why it's so important to hold on to hope. And to believe that things can be better, that things can change. And it's important for you and I to do what we can do in our circles of influence, right? To make a positive difference. Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation based on our faith. It's to trust and to wait expectantly. As one of my mentors liked to say near the end of his life, he said, I used to think hope was the icing on the cake. I've lived long enough to learn hope is the cake. And no matter what's going on in your life, it's so important not to give up and to hold on to hope. Hope is a skill. It requires practice. Hope is an organic thing. It requires cultivation. If you become an expert at nothing else, let it be hope. Derek Thompson wrote in the April issue of The Atlantic an article titled, Why American Teens Are So Sad. Four Forces Propelling the Rising Rates of Depression Among Young People. And the article started this way. He wrote, the United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26 to 44%. That's almost half according to a new CDC study. They noted this is the highest feelings of sadness that they've recorded since they started doing this research. And he notes in the article that there are four forces fueling hopelessness and sadness in teenagers, and I think many of them afflict people of all ages. I'm going to share the four with you and see if you're surprised, see if you agree or not. So the number one reason is social media use. Because the more time a person spends online, regardless of their age, the more hopeless, sad, depressed, anxious, and worried they become. That should tell you something. 
The second reason is because sociality is down. And you notice the biggest problem with social media may not be social media itself, but rather the activities that it replaces. They noted today's teens spend five hours, more than five hours a day, just on social media. Isn't that something? And that habit seems to be displacing other more beneficial activity. The share of high school students who got eight or more hours of sleep declined 30% from 2007 to 2019. And compared with their counterparts in the 2000s, today's teens are less likely to go out with their friends to get a driver's license or to play youth sports. And the pandemic and the closure of schools made teen loneliness and hopelessness and sadness even worse. A third factor of why people are feeling hopeless and sad is the world is stressful. And there is more news about the world's stressors. Now, stress is not a new phenomenon. Just ask Daniel in the lion's den, right? It's not totally new. But what is new is the amount of news that we are exposed to about frightening or threatening things. And the images come at us as well very vividly 24 hours a day especially the more you're on social media. You see how these things feed each other. Uh, the fourth reason he noted is modern parenting strategies. And he said anxious parents seeking to insulate their children from risk and danger are unintentionally transferring their anxiety to their kids. Now, if I was writing the article, I'd add a fifth force. And that is a lack of faith in God as the foundation of one's life. Because the increase in hopelessness, sadness, that we're seeing, loneliness, not just among teenagers, but in people across age groups, is increasing as the, at the same time as the number of people who now say they don't have a personal relationship with God that guides and shapes their life. They aren't part of a faith community in which they find friendship and encouragement and support. They don't attend worship regularly. They don't read the Bible, which is filled with hope and talks about hope in the midst of the challenges of life. Now, this is not to say that if you're a Christian, you're never going to be lonely or sad or have feelings of hopelessness or get depressed. You know, I mean, that's not the case. We all have our times of trial and challenge, don't we? We know that's true. So we're not pretending that doesn't happen. However, what is happening in our country and in our culture is that many people are depriving themselves of the greatest source of hope available to all of us. And it's available to anyone who will receive it. And that's the faith and hope we have in God and in Christ. Amen? Hope and its siblings, hopeful, hoped, hopes, and hoping, appear 148 times in the Bible. Hopeless appears, drum roll, once. Now, 148 to 1, that's a route. You know, right? That's a big win. 
And for those of you who are already wondering, I wonder what that one verse is. It's Jeremiah 2.25, in case you're curious. Don't go look it up right now. You can look it up later. But I obviously, I did a study on the word hope in the Bible, and the book of Psalms has more references to hope than any other book in the Bible, 26. And the Psalms are the prayers and songs of the people. And a third of the Psalms are laments. They're people pouring out their heart to God in the midst of their trials and their challenges and their difficulties. And they encourage us repeatedly to hope in God in the midst of our circumstances. For example, here come just a few. But the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. My hope is in you. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. When you need hope, turn to the book of Psalms, and you'll find it over and over. The book with the second most references to hope in the Bible, I'm guessing is going to surprise you. It's the book of Job. Yes. Yes. They said with surprise. The book of Job. And if you haven't read it, the book of Job, Job suffers the loss of all his children. Can you imagine the loss of virtually all his property, the loss of his good health. And he struggles mightily with maintaining a sense of hope in the face of such overwhelming suffering and adversity and loss. And yet eventually Job emerges from the storm of this terrible trial with a deeper personal relationship with the Almighty far beyond what he had experienced before. Hope helped pull him through. We turn to the New Testament for the book that has the third most references to hope. And it's Paul's letter to the Romans. Our next book as we are journeying through the Bible. Writing about Abraham in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul says that hoping against hope, he believed that what God promised him would come to fruition. Sometimes in life, we have to hope against hope, meaning in spite of the evidence that we see to the contrary, we are going to cling to the hope that things can get better or be better or be different. In Romans chapter 8 and verses 24 and 25, Paul states, for by hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And there seems to be a relationship between hoping and waiting. And we actually see that in the Hebrew word that's used for that. We see that in Spanish where the verb esperar 
right? It's the verb for both hoping and waiting. Both. We hope for something because we do not yet fully possess it. And we know in the Bible that there's a relationship between hope and suffering because we see it throughout the book of Job. We see it here again in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul says you are to rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering. They go together. And as Paul is nearing the end of his letter to the church in Rome, he returns once again to the importance of hope in chapter 15, beginning in verse 4, where he says, For whatever was written in former days, meaning what we now call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised, that is, of the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs that the Gentiles, those are non-Jews, that's most of us, might glorify God for his mercy. And now he's going to quote from the Old Testament. As it is written, Therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, as you can see, just from this brief look, hope is a word that appears frequently in the pages of the Bible. Paul says the God we worship is a God of steadfastness, encouragement, and hope. And there are so many scriptures that encourage us to have hope, to hold on, to persevere, to keep on believing even when life is hard. And I think the joy and peace that so many people in the world are lacking is found in believing in the God of hope that Paul is writing to the church in Rome about. And Paul says we don't just have a little glimmer of hope. He says through the power of the Holy Spirit given to us, we may abound in hope. And reading through the Bible, we're encouraged again and again by the steadfastness of women and men facing tough times who hold on to hope and to God's promises. When the world says, give up, hope whispers, try one more time. Writer Anne Lamott put it well when she said, hope begins in the dark, the stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. 
Author Laura Hillenbrand is the author of uh, several terrific books. Sea Biscuit uh, was her first uh, bestseller. And then she spent seven years writing the book Unbroken, a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. On a May afternoon in 1943, a U.S. Army Air Force bomber crashed into the Pacific Ocean. And it disappeared, leaving only a spray of debris and a slick of oil and gasoline. And then, on the ocean surface, a face appeared. And it was that of a young lieutenant, the plane's bombardier, struggling to a life draft and pulling himself aboard. And so began one of the most extraordinary odysseys of the Second World War. The lieutenant's name was Louis Zamperini. And in boyhood, he'd been a cunning and incorrigible delinquent breaking into homes, brawling, fleeing his home to ride the rails. And then as a teenager, he channeled his defiance into running, discovering a prodigious talent that carried him to the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin, Germany, as the youngest member of the United States Olympic team. And he was within sight of a four-minute mile. But when the war had come, the athlete had become an airman embarking on a journey that led him to that doomed flight, a tiny raft, and a drift into the unknown. Ahead of Zamperini lay thousands of miles of open ocean, leaping sharks, a foundering raft, sunburn, thirst, and starvation, enemy aircraft. And then beyond that lay a trial even greater. Zamperini would spend 47 days adrift in the Pacific in a life raft before being captured by the Japanese. And then from then, this is 1943, until the war's end in 1945, he was engaged in a brutal struggle to survive. He was imprisoned at the infamous prison of war camp on Kwajalein Atoll, nicknamed Execution Island. He was taken to a secret interrogation center called Afuna. Murderously sadistic guards, starvation rations, and dysentery all whittled away at his body and his soul. And finally, he wound up in a POW camp northwest of Tokyo where a psychotic guard made it his mission in life to break Zamperini. And driven to the absolute limits of human endurance, Zamperini would answer desperation with ingenuity, suffering with hope, resolve, and humor, brutality with rebellion. And Unbroken is a powerful testament both to the utter depravity of humanity on the one hand and to the resilience of the human mind, body, and spirit on the other. And Louis Zamperini, to me, is a notable example of what actor Christopher Reeve said after the horseback riding accident that left him paralyzed. He said, once you choose hope, anything is possible. Once you choose hope, anything is possible. Now, when Unbroken came out, I remember, I, I read a book review of it by Maria Fluke in the Boston Globe, and this is what she wrote. She wrote, back home, Zamperini, Zamperini suffered flashbacks, but his new wife introduced him to the Reverend Billy Graham at a Bible tent meeting. In the service, his tent-issued, his uh, government-issued Bible had made no sense to him, but once he was born again, his post-traumatic stress systems disappeared. He earned a living as a Christian speaker on ocean liners. He ran a nonprofit boys' camp. He eventually was able to run with the Olympic torch in Japan, which is remarkable. 
He visited a Japanese prison to forgive his jailed captors. And then the reviewer in the Globe wrote this. Finding God is an all too familiar ending. Like this is a work of fiction. This is a real man. This is a real person's life. You know, it's a true account of what happened to a real person whose courage and hope were beyond amazing and whose relationship with God after going through tremendous suffering gave him a sense of hope and peace after so much torture and torment so awful that frankly it's hard to even read about if you read the book, much less to imagine what it was like to experience it. Samuel Johnson wrote, hope is necessary in every condition. The miseries of poverty, sickness, and captivity would without this comfort be insupportable. And that's why those words from Romans 5 that David read for us that I want to repeat, they're so important. Where Paul proclaims, we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Biblical hope builds its foundation on faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 states, faith is the substance of things hoped for. We cannot have one without the other. Faith and hope are complementary. Faith is grounded in the reality of our experience with God in the past. Hope is looking to the reality of God with us in the future. Without faith, there is no hope. And without hope, there is no true faith. So whatever your circumstance, condition, trial, or test, you can face it better with hope. Hope is an attitude. It's a stance towards life that you need to courageously choose and cultivate again and again and again. All it takes is one bloom of hope to make a spiritual garden. My dad is uh, flying into Boston this week. Uh, he's coming in on Tuesday. He's going to come out to Maine. I'm going to spend a week with him. And uh, my dad turns 90 this coming Saturday. That's amazing. And um, so we're going to spend the whole week. We're going to have 40 family members and friends celebrating his birthday at his favorite restaurant in Maine, which doesn't serve lobster, doesn't serve fried clams. It's a Chinese restaurant in the corner of a strip mall in Westbrook. We'll probably fill most of the restaurant just with our group. But my dad loves musicals, and so, you know, my dad, we'd always have musicals when my dad was in the car, that or big band music. And one of his favorite musicals, not surprising, is Damn Yankees, because uh, it's about Yankees and baseball. And his favorite song in that musical is You Gotta Have Heart. And many of you know the words to that. You gotta have heart. All you really need is heart. When the odds are saying you'll never win, that's when the grin should start. You gotta have hope. Mustn't sit around and mope. Nothing's half as bad as it may appear. Wait till next year and hope. Sadly, that's what us Red Sox fans may have to do, but that's another story. But, and here's, here's a thought. If you want to put this all down to one sentence, hope is putting faith to work. 
when doubting would be easier. Hope is putting faith to work when doubting would be easier. Without hope, life is meaningless. Without hope, life is meaningless and less. If you need help finding hope, we have people you can talk to. We've got groups you can join. We have opportunities to get involved. So let us know. Remember, hope helps. Hope is risky because sometimes it feels safer to live without it. Because if you don't hope, you can't hurt. But hope shapes a vision of a better future. It gives you the ability to endure and to keep on going. So don't surrender to the safety of despair. Hold on to hope. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much that you are a God of steadfastness and encouragement and hope. How much we need all three of those things in our life. And God, as we open our lives to you, as we surrender our lives to you, as we ask you to walk with us day by day, God, would you steadfastly stay by our side? Would you continue to pour encouragement into our spirit? And would you, by your Holy Spirit, pour your hope into our heart? God, I pray especially for those who are facing challenges, whether those challenges are physical today, whether they're spiritual, relational, financial, whatever it is, God, help us keep putting our hope and faith to work, even when doubting would be easier. We ask this in Jesus' name.